And we welcome you back to Moving Forward with Young Voices. We are happy to welcome Kat Dwyer, who joins us from PERC, P-E-R-C. Tell us what that stands for, Kat. It stands for the Property and Environment Research Center. Excellent. Excellent. And this is this is a, an organization that uh, I've had the pleasure of bumping into a couple of different times. Um, wonderful people. You are here today to talk about a topic that I think a lot of people are going to go, oh, yes, I, I see this. <laughs> the, the title of the article in front of me, this is uh, your article published in the Washington Examiner. No, California is not a liberal utopia. And... I've heard some people try to make the case that it is, but I've also seen a lot of people of late saying um, California has some real challenges. Where where do you want to begin on, on tackling that uh, liberal utopia myth? Yeah, well, there's... Um there's plenty of, of examples to choose from in California. Um, what I focused on in my article was uh, sort of regulating the gig economy, trying to decarbonize the electricity grid um, and, and transportation infrastructure in the form of high-speed rail, um, all of which are ideas that are being pursued or talked about within the Biden administration. Okay. Um, should we just take them one at a time then? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say when when it comes to decarbonizing the energy grid, um, Biden has an ambitious goal to decarbonize um, the entire U.S. economy and, and grid by 2035. Um, and we can look to California to sort of see what that process looks like. Um, they have a goal of having their energy grid supplied by 50% of renewables um, by 2030, and they're, they're well on their way to meeting that target. Uh, currently, they get about a third of their energy from wind and solar. Um, and we can look at their experience and see that when you rely heavily on wind and solar and you shun sort of what's called baseload energy sources, which is basically consistent energy sources, um, like nuclear or, or coal or natural gas, uh, you wind up with an inherently unreliable grid. Um, and we saw that last summer play out with California's regular blackouts, um, which basically happened because they were relying heavily on wind and solar, wind and solar uh, supply power intermittently. And unfortunately, storage capacity is, is woefully insufficient at this point in time. And so when demand surged during a heat wave, they couldn't meet the demand and uh, people's lights were turned out. And so if we, I, I caution the Biden administration to not make that same mistake and to, and to really seriously incorporate nuclear into the energy mix if we're trying to have um, a zero emission economy. It's, it's just not possible without, without nuclear or, uh, or other baseload energy sources. Something tells me nuclear power is not going to be well received in California. Just it's, <laughs> they've been shunning it for quite some time. And, okay. and actually, one of their their biggest nuclear facilities is in the process of being shut down. Um, Diablo Canyon, it'll be offline by 2025, which is it's a real mistake. And I think they'll I think increasingly people are realizing this and, and hopefully that trend will change. Um, and I think the Biden administration appears to be at least open to the idea of nuclear. Um, and so hopefully they'll look to California and recognize the folly of, of shunning that. Okay, now I've also heard a fair amount of talk over the last few years about high-speed rail in in California. Now, mostly I've heard about it in terms of cost, but uh, talk to me about why is that uh, why is that such an important uh, issue 
to to politicians in California and, and apparently in Washington D.C. as well. You know, it seems like it's, um, and perhaps this is a cynical take, but it seems like it's more about uh, sort of ideological posturing than it is about meeting a real demand. Um, because the the sad truth is, um, basically, high speed rail is it's more expensive and slower than than travel by car and plane, and it's more inconvenient as well. Um, so there really isn't much of a demand for it. Um, but certain special interests uh, can kind of get a, a payout for being a part of the building project. Um, and in California, it's basically turned into a $100 billion boondoggle, which it was originally billed at $35 billion. Wow. So it's way over budget. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and you know, it's almost humorous. At this point, They the goal was to have it uh, complete the journey from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. Um, and at this point, even California Governor Gavin Newsom has has sort of acquiesced and acknowledged that they'll probably only finish the section from Bakersfield to Merced, which if you're familiar with that area, I mean, that's like rural agriculture. And it's, you know, you're not connecting city urban centers together. Um, so it's 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 almost like they've dug in their heels and they got to finish this project to say they finished it. But it's it's there's no real demand. Um and unfortunately, uh, Biden and Pete Buttigieg, who's the new um, transportation secretary, are, are sort of touting that as an example to emulate and, and talking about bringing that type of infrastructure um, on a national scale, which I think would be a huge mistake, <laughs> as we've seen play out in California. Let's let's shift to uh, AB5. And California went after the gig economy. Now, my understanding is that was walked back somewhat in the last election. Where, where does that measure stand right now as it relates to uh, the gig economy? Yeah. So in, in California, um, in this last election, um, what's known as Proposition 22 was passed. And, and basically, you could boil that down to sort of like a compromise between um, sort of the, the gig economy and regulators. And basically, um, it, it, it scales back some of the provisions that were in EB five and provides a little bit more flexibility, um, to employers, but, and employees, uh, for that matter. But, um, but it still provides a bit of the safety net that unions were hoping to accomplish with California AB five. Um, and of course, that's contested, and, and we'll see how this story unfolds. Um, but but my concern is is sort of trying to um, emulate California AB AB five on a national scale. Uh, the Pro Act was just reintroduced um, by Democrats in Congress, and it's sort of a um, it takes AB five and expands it, and critically, it includes. Um, a portion of AB5, which is known as the ABC test, which basically is a it's a measure for um, classifying workers. And if you don't meet the strict criteria of the ABC test, then you cannot be classified as a freelance or contract worker, mm. um, which basically means your employer uh, has to treat you as a full-time employee and provide the benefits that would come with that, like paid leave and, and health care. And ultimately what that does, um, it, it makes labor more expensive and it creates a disincentive to hire. Um, so ironically, 
it will ultimately end up hurting the very people that it's meant to protect. Um, Because instead of getting them a full-time gig with a full package of benefits, they don't get hired in the first place. And, And I think critically, it overlooks the fact that what's so attractive about the gig economy is that it it provides workers with flexibility and more opportunity. Um, so they don't necessarily want to be treated as full-time employees. There's, there's you know, costs associated with that, um, even on the employee side. So I think it would be, it would be a big mistake to try to, to implement that on a national scale. And I think, again, it would, it would hire workers more than it would benefit them. Kat, I love hearing you use words like incentive and disincentive because those, yeah. those are the things that get people to act. Um, we're down to just about a minute or so left here. Um, where can people find your work? You're a Young Voices contributor, but uh, I think you have some other irons in the fire as well. Where can people read what you've written? Um, well, on, on the, if they visit the PERC website, uh, which is perc.org, um, I have a couple of articles there on wildfires, and there will be more coming soon. We have a, a report coming out on, on forest management uh, that will come out this spring, so we'll have more work on that that I'll contribute to. Um, and then the Young Voices website, uh, you can go there and see my profile and read all of the writing I've been doing with them, and uh, I'm excited for more to come. And I'm going to just mention this because I want you to get in a plug. You also host a podcast. Oh, that is right. Yes, of course. How could I forget? Um, yeah, I I host a I co-host a podcast um, called the Whiskey Bench Podcast. Um, so you can find us. Um, it's Whiskey Bench uh, with an H. Some people don't spell whiskey with an H, but you can find that on any uh, streaming platform. Cat, very good visiting with you. I hope we get a chance to visit again. Thank you so much. Thank you. 